Okay, thank you, Lord. Uh, you all, this is going to be a, a good lesson today. And I thank you for taking time to join us again, those that are just coming online. Uh, what we're going to do, you know, we've talked about the purging and what we're going to do once the uh, gardener purge uh, start to, uh, what is it? <laughs> Once the gardener started to uh, dig up the ground around it, he put some fertilizer on it so that the fruit, when the fruit time starts, when it's time, when it's a season to grow new fruit, uh, the fertilizer helps it a little bit. And that's the whole purpose of my, the lessons that God has allowed me to give to you all is to apply more fertilizer so that when springtime comes, when we come out of this winter season, this cold, shut down cold season, we come out ready to run. And the little video that I sent you all, uh, the, the uh, poster that I sent you was about running the race. And you know, of any, any race that, uh, the person doesn't have coats and gloves and shoes and they get kind of like partially uh, stripped down with, with lighter clothes and all. they don't have all that stuff on in order to run this race. Now, uh, there's a race to be run and we all know that. There's a victory to be won and victory. I, I want us to just put in, put in our heart to say victory is mine. Victory is mine. And you decide what victory you want in life. So if you will look at Hebrews 12 and one and you all, if you will please mute your phone, Hebrew 12 and one. Hebrew 12 and 12 and 1 said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And there is a race that's marked out for us. Now, we're going to go go look at Hebrews 11, just a, real, uh, a little snippet of that. Now, uh, in Hebrews 11, it gives a list of faithful examples of forerunners. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily uh, entangles us. And there is one part that easily beseeches us, depending on the version that you read. He said, let us run, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Each of us have a race. Each of us have a walk. Each of, each of us have a, a personal journey how we go through this life. So it's up to you as to how you want to do it. If you want to go sad and, and depending on somebody else to get you through, you're not in God. You're not having a victory in it. You're not going it's what a lot of us I'm understanding live on somebody else's testimony and I see that a lot lately living on what they did and how they got there thank you uh, a, a lot of us uh, are on the road to see how other folks are doing it but when we stand before God this is an individual an individual life that we stand for each and every one of us. Yes, it's wonderful when we come as a group, but when you stand before him, you stand as an individual as to what you did with your life. Now, going back to this, is so we are pictured as being in a race. Picture this as being in a race now. Uh, you can look at examples of those that has gone before us. That's in Hebrews 11. You can look at all the different ones they, they talk about. I didn't bring that up on purpose because I want you all to start looking at some things 
and and getting a little bit more information that I don't dig up everything for you. But uh, if you have an issue, call me, text me, and I'll, I'll tell you how to research and do things. I, I can teach you how to learn more of the Bible yourself. Now, in order to run effectively, believers need to get rid of sin and other entanglements. Remember, Jada and Will was in Jada. Jada, Jada Pickett was uh, uh, in an entanglement last year that we talked about. Now, people who are serious about running races do not carry extra baggage. You have never seen an Olympic runner carrying a suitcase or talking on the cell phone during the race. Oh, I don't know. Have you all ever seen anybody running the race? talking on the cell phone uh -uh. everything that is not absolutely essential is left behind we, we lay all this stuff down and to win the race the runner must finish in order to run the race win the race the runner must finish if you stop halfway you will not finish the race now the athlete must not give up before finishing uh, perseverance is required. A lot of times you all think about things in our life that come up. You have to push. Push to make it happen. If you give up half the time, you're defeated. But we're going to go run this race for victory. Total victory. Because that's what God wants us to have. He opened the doors. He gives us wisdom. He sends us a confidence so that we're not all alone. And he's provided this group as as a we, I call it a coaching team to coach you. This You can do this. You can do this. You just got to take time, drop off some of that stuff. Now, the author of Hebrews uh, calls believers to consider the ultimate example of perseverance. Runners in the athletic competition cannot be distracted by uh, other objects they carry. As runners... In the race of life, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the bottom line. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus in order to win this race. Uh, as we run, we must be looking at Him in faith. He is more than our example, He is our final destination. We must run towards Him with all our might and in the promise that we will be conformed to His image. That's what we have to do, you all. Now, Hebrew 12 and 2, get Hebrew 12 and 2, says that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. We know that. He is the one who blazed the trail. He is the one who made the way into the Holy of Holies. So that the rest of the of us could follow into God's pre, uh, presence, we no longer have to take a do, a, go, a dove, or some other animal to a priest to sacrifice. We don't do that. God changed it all. He had four hundred years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then He started doing a new thing. And we all know that we we've been through that. We know what He's doing now. And He sent His Son to give us the new way to show to give us the path that we have to follow to get to Him. There's many, we know that many other religions says that Jesus is not the only way, but that's your choice. You decide who's what path you're going to go on. If you go on a Buddhist path, fine. Uh, there's some other religion. There's all kinds of religions out there, but it's your choice as to which one you want to go to. Uh, Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 20. 
Hebrews 10 19 through 20 said Jesus is also the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who brought it to completion. He did not just start it, he finished it. And the verse goes on to explain just how he finished it. And we know that. I'm not going to go into babies with you. I'm going to read it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. In the Old Testament, only the priests could go into the Holy of Holies. And there was a, 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 a what you say, a curtain across there. And behind, behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And only the priests can go in. And during the times when the priest was to go in and do the minister of the praying, they had to have a bell, a bell on them. And they were had a rope and a bell. And if the bell ever stopped shaking, they knew the priest had dropped dead or something. So they just pulled them out because everybody could not go behind the bell. Everybody couldn't do that. But because of Jesus, we have that right. There's no longer a separation. If, as long as we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's all we got to do. Believe Him in our heart. It's not a head thing. Believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We are we are, have the communication. We could talk with God, but we can't go around Jesus. You all, so many religions say you can go around Jesus, but I tell you, it's not so. And if you don't believe me, read your Bible. That's all you got to do is read your Bible, and then look at evidence in your life. Uh, we got it's a couple points I want to give you now. Hebrews twelve and two says that Jesus endured the cross. He determined to carry out the will of his father. That's in Matthew 26 and 39. He did did this by focusing on the joy that was to come. He knew that he would be resurrected and restored to the place of glory that he had with the father from the beginning. That's in John 17 and 5. John 17 and 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Again, you might want to jot that down. John 17 and 5. Jesus said, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, Jesus looked forward with joy to the people he would save. He willingly gave his life to save his sheep. That's John 10 10 and 11. John 10, 10 and 11 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Thank, for his sheep. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for me. For laying down, I accept that he laid down his life for me. And the second point I want to bring out to you all is Hebrews 12 and 2 says that Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. Think about this, you all. Look, think we, we know what it looked like. And most of us saw, uh, I forgot the name of the movie. Most of us saw that. But, and we have seen it. We've read it in the Bible. Now, the crucifixion was a gruesome state. It was torture. It was a torture death. And it included public humiliation and shame. They put him on the cross naked. That's what the Bible says. Now Jesus was uh, 
ridiculed as he was hanging on the cross. The sign, the, the, even the sign that put above his head said he was the king of the Jews. Now a cruel irony, it really was true he was a cruel, he was the king of the Jews, but they put it down as, as a joke. Now the uh but those who murdered him did not believe it. Now others on the ground mocked him saying he saved himself. Why can't he come down and he saved others? Why can't he save himself? Uh if he's the Messiah, if he's God's son, why can't he come down and do something for himself? Little did they know you all. That's in Luke twenty three and thirty five. Luke twenty three and thirty five said the people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God, the Messiah, or the Chosen One. That, that's what people do to us daily. Just because they, we love God and, and we know we love Jesus and we love his son. We love Jesus as the son of God. We know People hate us. They, we learned last week they hate us because we talk about Jesus. They hated Jesus, so therefore you know they're going to hate you. It ain't no big deal when people hate you. As my mother said, and I'll say it forever, they don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. So why do you care what they say? Why do you care? Now, the cruel irony is that he could only save others by not, by not saving himself. He was truly the Messiah. And this prevented him from coming down off the cross. He was the chosen one. He had been chosen from the very purpose of dying on God's sacrifice for our sins. It also is an irony that God would deliver him, but only after he endured the cross. God could have pulled him off any time. Could have saved him. Jesus said at one time he could have called down a legion of angels, yeah, a legion of, of angels to save him. But no, he didn't ask for that. He endured it. He didn't do it. He went through whatever torture or pain he had to do to save us. To, to show that we can do it. There's a lot of stuff that we do. But if you're going through this race and you turn, turn around halfway, you're going to hell. When you give up, you're just going to stay there. You're not winning the race. you got to endure it. you got to take it. But the only way you can do it is when you know you got God's spirit living within you. Now, the third thing I want to uh, point out about Hebrews 12 says that uh, after Jesus' death, God raised him from the dead. We know that, right? And Jesus ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the God the Father. Uh, this signifies Jesus' authority. At the right hand of the Father. We, we can picture that. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father. Interceding for us. Interceding for me. So no matter whatever I get, get have to endure. I can endure it because as long, as long as I believe who Jesus is. He said he will never leave me. He will send me a, a, send another comforter. That's what he said in the word. <coughs> Excuse me y'all. When he was getting ready to go home, he said to the uh, disciples at that time, he was leaving, but he was going to ask his father to send another comforter, a comforter that can live in everybody, uh, a paraclete to give you wisdom and directions. You're not alone in this in this race. You got you got uh, strength in your heart to push, 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 push. 
if you if you run in the race and halfway through you oh no I can't do this that means somehow you don't believe that you got the spirit of God living in you you have no examples when you know God is the know that the Spirit of God is with you regardless as what's going on you hold tight onto it, you all. Hold tight. You know he's with you and you don't give up. You don't give up. Now the book of Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, the Jews who had professed faith in Jesus were now facing persecution from the unbelieving Jews. You remember that, you all? The those disciples were Jews. They believed in Jesus, but now after his death, they were getting persecuted by, by their own brothers and sisters, which was uh, the Pharisees. They were tempted to turn back, to renounce Christ, and to go back to the temple and the sacrificial system. They, they were told, go back, go back, and do, take take your, uh, your your dove or whatever back to the priest. They, they was, uh, Jesus was no longer there in, in the physical so the, the uh what what the people that was around them had gotten into the head and said they they will go back. What what did Peter say? Well, I'm going back fishing. <laughs> Remember that when people say I'm going to go fishing, and Jesus met him met him out there on the banks with a meal and said, you know, you're going to do another kind of fishing. You're going to go fish for people, and that's what we're supposed to do, no matter what storm comes up. I, I really want to encourage you all. This this is so heavy on me. I really want to encourage you. No matter what storm comes up. When you are right. When you have your uh, hand in the hand of Jesus. You never fail. No matter what storm. What, no matter what's thrown at you. All you got to do is quiet your spirit. Tell your spirit to shut up. Shut up. And you you can say that to yourself. If you can't say that to yourself, something is wrong. That means you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. When you can't say to yourself, shut up, get out of your flesh. When you have no control over your own self, there is something wrong. I don't know if I need to say it again, but this is this is it. Your Jesus came for a purpose. So that when we're running this way, when we're going through this life, we're not by ourselves. He's with us. And he's with us through the Holy Spirit. That's what the Father sent us. Somebody to walk with us, talk with us, guide us, give us wisdom. But if we want to lean on our flesh and listen to all the voices around us, you won't win this race. You will not win this race. Now, believers that who, who read the book of Hebrews uh, today are faced with, we, we have all kind of similar t- temptations today. The world and what we have left behind are calling us wanting us to go back. We know that. You all know that. You can think of you can make this personal. I want you to take this lesson and make it personal. There's always something around you that wants you to go back. Come back over here. You got friends. I, I, I want to say it this way. We've got deep, deep friends. And I know I have many, many friends, many, many women that I've ministered over, over since 1996. And even before that, even coming up as, as a young girl, I ministered, didn't know I was ministering. But I was light, a light to people. I won't hang out in the world or drinking or whatever. And then when I got into corporate life, I learned how to do it professionally. I learned how to deal with some of the other races. And when I learned how to shut my mouth and learn what they knew. But no, what we do, we list on the people that's in the crab in the basket with us. And they're still in the basket with you. So why do you want to listen to somebody that's down in the basket with you? Uh, 
there is no time for us to backtrack or uh, dally dally. The race we are running is probably more like a military style uh, obstacle course than a nice and neat Olympic race. There are real dangers along the way, you all, but we must keep moving forward. We have the examples of past saints to follow, but our supreme example is Jesus, the one who blazed the way, finished the race, paid for our sins, paid for our sins, paid for our sins, paid in full. We are now seated in the place of the highest honor and authority. We have been, a lot of us have been taught ignorance. The word, if you go read the word of God yourself, you know a lot of that BS that you were taught is not true. Because people did not get it in their heart. It was their interpretation, their vomit, so they fed it to a lot of us. That we're supposed to be down and poor and never have anything. That's a lie. That's not what the Bible says. We don't have because we don't try to get it. And being humble and, and, and down and out, I, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to be down and out and broken, but circumstances sometimes get, you know, get in the way. Sometimes things, life, I call it the vicissitudes of life. This walk, the stuff that we face every day, sometimes they get us down and we have no control on. But because of the grace of God, we have a helper. We have a paraclete. We look to Jesus. Only as an example of source and of our strength. Jesus endured all that we can do it also. Now again, Hebrew 1 it says, Now faith is the confidence. It's what we hope for. And assurance about what we, we do not see. I'll read it again. Hebrews 11 and 1. If we get this in our heart. And it's been taught so many times. I know you read it over and over and over. But when you get it, it's like it get it in your guts and you know this. Faith is, it said now, right now, this moment, today, this second. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we do not see. It's like the knowing without any doubt, you all. I'll give you an example. Like if I, years ago, I'm a thrift shopper. I love nice stuff, and, and sometimes you can't afford it, but uh, I like buying nice wood, good wood. I, I grew up knowing about nice wood, old wood, not this uh, particle board stuff they're making now, whatever that stuff is. But with the I, I, I went to a sale, and they had courtroom chairs. You know those courtroom chairs are solid wood chairs, and the only way you can break them most times is get a saw and, and cut them up. It's very hard to break one of those chairs. It's like, so that, uh, give you an example now. If you should sit in a chair, uh, uh, you can see that. You see it's a solid wood chair, and therefore you know it's a solid wood chair. Without any doubt, you know, if you sit in the chair, it's not going to crush or, or, or come apart. We, we can see that. That is what our faith is. You know, knowing we can't see it. This is the difference. You can't really see it, but have enough belief, have enough faith in what God said that it will happen. Regardless, if God said it's going to happen, he normally he doesn't give us a time period. We just have to trust his word and believe his word. And anytime we get off the path, 
a lot of times we get off the path because we listen to others. And this next little part, I, I, I want, uh, well, I'm about done with the lesson anyway. The next little part, I, I want you all to see if you've th- ever seen this situation. Uh, it's called the uh, uh, Aesop uh, Fables. Now, Aesop was a, a, a Greek fabulous uh, storyteller. He wrote and told a lot of fables and now collective known as the uh, Aesop Fables. The first one I'm going to give you, now see if you've ever been through this. Or I think I have three. I'm going to do three and then we're going to cut this off real quick. Now there's the one about the farmer and the stork. The farmer and the stork. And anytime you are, you can always go on Google and Google these things. It tells you there's a lot of knowledge out there. You don't sit now. You don't have to sit down and go book by book and read. Google can tell you anything you want to know. Anything you want to know. Even if you want to know about me, ask Google. I'm in there. The farmer and the stork. The stork of a very stork. It's a stork of a very simple and trusting nature had been asked by a, a gay party of cranes. That means happy, not not a, a sexual way, but a happy party of cranes to visit a field that they, they had had been new a field that had been newly planted. These are birds talking now. The stork the stork asked, was asked by the cranes to come come go to this field that was newly planted. But the party ended up uh dismantled. With all the birds entangled in meshes and the farmer's net. The farmer had something set for him to trap him. Now the stork begged, begged, so the farmer trapped him. And the stork begged the farmer to spare him. Please let me go, he pleaded. I belong to the stork family. Who you know are honest and birds of good character. Think about your own self. I use the brand. I belong to the brand family, who you know are honest and of good character. Besides, I did not know the cranes were going to steal. Been there? You may be. The farmer said, "You may be a very good bird," answered the farmer. But I caught you with the thieving cranes, and you have to share the same punishment with them. The moral of the story, you are judged by the company you keep. I know a young man, dear dear to me, he's, he's deceased now, and I, I, he should be now probably early, mid-50s, not 60s yet, but 50s. He went to uh, years ago, this was way back in the 60s, young man about 19 years old, went, went to... Uh, a store with a bunch of his friends. He was sitting in the car. The, the, the friends re, uh, uh, robbed the store. Robbed the store. So when the police called him, just because he was sitting in the car, he got more time than they did. You are judged by the company you keep. All right, let me tell you another stoper story. Uh, this one is about the ant and the grasshopper. The ant and the grasshopper. Picture this: the ant and the grasshopper. One bright day in late autumn, and a family of ants were bustling about in the warm sunshine, drying out the grain they had stored up by during the summer. When a starving grasshopper, his fiddle on his arm, came up and humbly begged them, begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in, in surprise. Haven't you stored anything away for the winter? What in the world were you doing all last summer? I didn't have time to store up food, whined the grasshopper. 
I was so busy making music that before I knew it, the summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. Making music were you? They cried. Very well, now dance. They turned their backs on the grasshopper and went went on without the, went on with their work. Now, logically, there's a time to work and a time to play. And we have to think about that and know that we're going to always have somebody, well, come go with me. Come do this before. You know you got to get up and go to work in the morning. So why are you going to run out with them and stay all night long? And then you got to call in when I'm sick. I don't, I got a headache. I don't have time. Or your kids get up, get up and you don't get them on school on time because you are hanging out all, all night. This one I want to tell you about is the farmer and the snake. Everybody knows this one. The farmer and the snake. A farmer walked through his field one cold winter morning. On the ground lay a snake, stiff and frozen with the cold. The farmer knew how deadly uh, the snake could be, and yet he picked it up and put it in his bosom to warm it, warm it back to life. The snake soon revived, and when it had enough uh, strength, the man who had been so kind to it, the, the bite was deadly, and the farmer felt that he must die. As he drew his last breath, he said to those standing around, Do not take pity on the scoundrel. What's a scoundrel? It's a mean or wicked per- villain, or a wicked person, a villain. Do not take pity on him. I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm, say, I'm only saying what the word says. Don't take pity on somebody like that. That's their choice. If they want to stay wicked and mean all the time, that's them. God does not tell us to, to find pity on them. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit job, not yours. And I, I'm going to close this out, and I want to say this to you. Yeah, Judge Judah say, says it all the time, and I love I love the the uh, words that she says, the the wisdom that just Judge Judah says a lot. And now, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck, you all. It's a duck. And now what Fred Harvey says now for the rest of the 